Thanks for listening to the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. Our desire is to create a multi-generational conversation in the independent Baptist movement while standing together for truth. The following is a teaching portion from the first ever Standing Together Ministry Summit in September of 2018. We would love to see you at the next summit on April 1st and 2nd at Franklin Road Baptist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can learn more and register at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Now, prepare to grow as you listen to this episode of the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 10. And so I have been assigned the topic stewarding life and and I did write a book on stewarding life, and it has lots of chapters and lots of topics. Uh, what I like to say is that life is God's gift to you, and what you do with it is your gift to God. And, uh, and so God has gifted me with time, talent, treasure, with, with family. Uh, he's gifted me with his word. He's gifted me with so many things, and I don't want to squander those things. But in this particular context, what I would like to speak about for my 20 minutes here is the fact that he has gifted all of us with influence. And what I fear is that sometimes because of associations, things that we tweet, things that we uh, get involved in, that we're not really stewarding our influence for the long haul. Because I believe that whatever influence I have has been given to me from the Lord. And so that's kind of the angle I want to come at. And let's look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou hast fully known... My doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned it. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so we want to talk today about stewarding our testimony by continuing in the things which we have learned and been assured of. And uh, if those things were fleshly and petty and non-biblical, lay them aside. But if they were biblical, biblically based, uh, hold to them. And that's what we want to talk about today. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to share a few moments and then have a panel discussion. Help me to say some things here that would stimulate our hearts and minds. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And I, I don't know about you, I appreciated just the four moderators on the video this morning and speaking here in the pulpit. You can sense a spirit of humility in this place. And I think rather than a, uh, a caustic spirit of, yeah, well, you know what that group does, and we're going to test the edge, and we're just here to push the limits, I really felt like they were just here saying, let's, let's hear from the Lord today. And I appreciated that because uh, the Bible says when we humble ourselves, the Lord will lift us up. And I think of this phrase, better is the end of a thing. And I believe the importance of a day like today is that we're trying to just pull out from our normal schedule and say, okay, all these trends and all these uh, groups and all these polls that we have on us and all the internet pop-ups and all this stuff, 
before we adapt every single bit of that, we need to, as leaders, say, where does that all go? You know, you know the old story. If you're going to wallpaper a room, you first take a plumb line and snap the plumb line. And you want to uh, line your wallpaper up on the plumb line, not on the corner of the room, because the corner of the room often can have a very slight imperfection in the sheetrock, uh, but you want to take that plumb line so that when you get around the end of the room, you're not, not doing this. I'm absolutely convinced that there are some men who, because they're not snapping the plumb line, uh, and while they're very close to me and while, while they're very close to uh, what I believe to be biblical principles, that down the road, their churches, and I especially think of teenagers sometimes, uh, they're going to view church in a completely different way than what Bible Christianity is. Now, it's important that you consider the end of a thing. Someday something will be written on your tombstone. And all of us really are just interim pastors. Did you know that? Uh, in other words, it's not my church, it's the Lord's church. Uh, I like to read tombstones. It's one of the weirdest things. Our kids, years ago, we took them to England for a week or so, and they call, they call that vacation the forced march through England. So <laughs> we'd get up real early, you know, go to McDonald's, and... And we went to all these, you know, all the, uh, the burial ground of the nonconformists uh, because I wanted to stand there and, and just think about the Anabaptist who died for what I have. And uh, we, went, we went also to the uh, burial ground of the Wesleys and some of the, some of the others and John Bunyan. And, and uh, just, you know, we'd go to these, these various different churches. I remember going to the church of John Newton and going to the little garden house where he wrote Amazing Grace and and uh, visiting the house where William Cowper lived and just all these things. But, uh, you know, you see the epitaphs written and you're reminded that I, wanted, I only get one shot at this. Um, as I heard about some epitaphs. Uh, one said, rest in peace, dear cousin Hewitt. We all know that you didn't do it. <laughs> uh, here lies a man named Zeke, second fastest draw in Cripple Creek. Harry Edsel Smith, born 1903, died 1942, looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. So, uh, and then, then I like the story of uh, the LifeLock CEO, uh, and, and uh, his name is Todd Davis. How many, of you, how many of you use LifeLock? Any of you? All right, we've probably all heard of it. I used it for a while. Uh, what was interesting about that, you know, he, he tells you to, uh, he was so, so certain of his... Uh, product that he literally posted his social security number on television to prove that no one could hack his identity. And, uh, and so he's uh, saying, look, at this, this information is useless for a criminal. They're not going to get your identity. But the Phoenix uh, New Times reported a few years ago that criminals now have stolen his identity 13 times because he put his social security number up on the uh, television. They have purchased a cell phone plan, bought gift baskets, played, uh, paid electric bills, all using Davis's social security number. Uh, it may be no small surprise then that LifeLock was fined $12 million for deceptive advertising. And the reason I share that with you is because Satan wants to steal your identity. And he wants to ruin your testimony. And he wants you to just blend in. Now, we all understand, theologically, the church is a called-out assembly. But there's this pull to blend in, group identity. And, uh, and, it, it, and so people say, well, they're just following a man. Don't follow a man. Just follow Jesus. I see that tweeted somewhere. I just follow Jesus. 
But then they get in, ultimately, to the guy who's saying, just follow Jesus, and they begin to follow him, and the same following man starts all over again. They're just following a more liberal man. And, and what I'm saying is that until we really truly find our identity in Jesus Christ, it's a vicious cycle. And so Satan wants to steal our identity. And, and uh, many people in churches in the Bible are identified for their great stand and testimony. The church at Antioch was called Christians first in Antioch. The church at Thessalonica were examples. I could go on with Paul and Silas and, and many, many others. But how do you build a strong testimony as a preacher? How can we have that good name, uh, considering the end of this thing called ministry? Uh, I, think, I think, sadly, a lot of us are aware that in the Bible, maybe a majority of men didn't finish well. And uh, I, I, too, grew up in a, in a pastor's home, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of men finish well, and I've seen maybe more not finish so well, both morally, financially, uh, and theologically, uh, men that just kind of didn't didn't do well to the very end. And, and, and so uh, I haven't finished my race. I'm relatively young. I remind my church of that all the time. I'm 56 years old. But I, I want to hear those words well done. And, and I've been really, really aware since I was 24 years old when I started pastoring that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ and that this is not my church to fiddle with. This is not my church to rebrand. This is not my church uh, to, to kind of create what I want, but that it's the church of the living God purchased with his own blood. And uh, so I want to I really think about every decision I make because one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. So I'll just give you a few quick tr uh, truths and then, Gabe, you tell me when I'm hitting that 20-minute mark. First, first, uh, first truth I'll share with you very quickly. We've, we must build on the truth. And I know that's foundational, but isn't the truth foundational? Paul says here in verse 10, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, etc. You know, I like a man that you get around him for a little bit and you know him. You know what he believes and generally where he's going. Uh, and... And, and, and here we see Paul said, look, at, you knew who I was. You knew what I believed. You knew my way of living. Uh, he said, I, you knew my doctrine. And, and of course, uh, he challenged Timothy that, uh, that he should be faithful to doctrine. He said, some will not endure sound doctrine. And there are many winds of doctrine. I, I think, honestly, listen, we can all read and learn from different authors, but I think we're just in a day where if we believe, for example, that that limited atonement is a heinous issue, then why are we going to go by our presence and endorse people that are teaching that? Because I do not believe that to be sound doctrine. And yet we're seeing, seeing men that are just so identifying with the mood of it, the vibe of it. And Paul said, look at you knew my doctrine, not only what I said, but the way I behaved, my manner of life. And Spurgeon said, nothing makes a man so virtuous, and I know someone's going to tell me afterwards, Spurgeon was a, was a Calvinist. Or, <laughs> he was the best soul-winning Calvinist you'll ever know. So, I mean, that, look at <laughs> I've been to his house, his grave, his college, his church, and, uh, and I've, I've read probably everything he's written. And I, I tell you what, the man was a soul-winner. But let me just say, nothing makes a man so virtuous as belief of the truth. A lying doctrine 
will soon beget a lying practice. A man cannot have an erroneous belief without by and by having an erroneous life. So I, as I've said to our teenagers, I say to myself and to you as pastors, nearness is likeness. And the more we spend time fellowshipping with people of other doctrinal persuasion, then soon that can begin to affect us. It doesn't matter who you are, because the new evangelicals are always the nicest guys in town. And, and the, the more we spend time with these men, uh, the more that that effect can take place. So Paul said, I tried to believe and live in a way that was consistent. Doctrine is the necessary foundation of duty. If the theory is not correct, the practice cannot be right. Tell me what a man believes, and I will tell you what he will do. Because, hey, beliefs determine behavior. Right? And so we could mention many doctrines, and I won't go through all of them. You know, the doctrine of the scriptures... Um, uh, the doctrine of the Savior's deity. Um, by the way, I love to preach doctrine on Sunday mornings at our church. I just, I, it, I think it's the greatest privilege to preach the deity of Christ, the doctrine of the scriptures. Um, and, and one of the things that has been a little bit difficult and is that sometimes young preachers today are comparing the worst of the independent Baptist, and there's a lot of it, with the best of the other crowds. And that's not a fair practice. I mean, there's a lot of crud that I've seen in the fundamental movement. I wrote a whole book, The Road Ahead, and I said, we need to stop brushing sin under the rug. We need to stop this angry attitude. But what's happened with some young fundamentalists is they've, they've been to enough conferences uh, with Calvinist teachers that they've become these little pseudo-intellects to believe that all independent Baptists are just a bunch of ignoramuses who don't really know how to articulate doctrinal positions. And I'm telling you, that's pride. And I'll be the first to admit, I've got to learn. There's passages I still haven't completely figured out. But we need to know the doctrine. We need to live the doctrine. We need to teach the doctrine. And, uh, and, and we need to continually lift up the great attributes of our Savior, his creative power, his, the fact that he received worship, the fact that he alone can forgive sin, etc. So if you're going to have the right testimony, build on the truth and stick with the truth and develop uh, the truth in your life. And I appreciate what Brother uh, Van Gelderen said with respect to evangelism. Now, we're going to, a few days from now, we're going to do a campaign. We're going to knock on 80,000 doors in eight days. Um, and we're praying to see thousands of people saved in the upcoming few months. That's our prayer. But I'm going to tell you, we may see hundreds. I don't know what we're going to see, but we're going to just go out and do everything we can. I believe in evangelism, but the church is more than just that one moment. Uh, and so we must cultivate those people and disciple those people and, doctrin and indoctrinate them, if you will, in the truths of God's word. So build on the truth. Secondly, uh, as you're building on the truth, you want to then change the trends or change your behavior. Verse 10 says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine and my manner of life. So beliefs determine behavior. We see here that Paul lived a life of purity. He said, You knew my manner of life. One of the trends that has concerned me in, in, the, in the modern church are men who curse in the pulpit. Uh, Men, like, like here in the Dallas area, and someone can tell me afterwards the good things, and I've read a few of his things, but I just don't appreciate a man like Matt Chandler standing up and saying, tell your friends to come to the bar and I'll talk to them about Jesus. Really? 
we're going to advocate drink, and yet young independent Baptists just retweet him like it's the greatest thing going? And, you know, be fair. He's probably written some great things. John MacArthur's written some great things. I just happen to not agree with his Calvinism or his uh, views on the blood or whatever. My point is to simply say that purity should begin and it should emanate from Christ and, and we need to give a good example of purity as pastors. And, uh, and this social gospel that, you know, meet me at the, at the bar type of a thing, uh, it's got, we need to consider the end of the thing. Where's that going? Right? That's what we're talking about, our testimony. And, uh, and so forth. So, I remember years ago, my son was, he was, you know, on the internet. He was in Bible college, and he heard a guy that, that, that this guy preaches against uh, uh, abortion. He's a great preacher. And so, you know, I'm a dad. I'm, like, getting on the internet saying, all right, who is this guy? And I came back. I, I said, Larry, I said, the guy's not a cessationist. The guy has open bars at his pastor's fellowship. He's a Calvinist, right? But, of course, he had a cool vibe. And... Uh, and so then when he was defrocked from his pulpit, I, I texted my, both of my boys, and I said, hey, see, now, this is why I was telling you, you guys shouldn't get so enamored with this guy. And uh, Larry texted me back, Dad, we weren't so enamored. We just thought he did a few things, and, you know, we, we knew how to, you know, not, uh, not take the whole hook, hook, line, and sinker. But I knew what I was feeling as well, a protectiveness and a concern to consider the end of the thing. So a life of purity is so vitally important. Paul did not inherit a good name from others. His, rep, his reputation was the result of daily choosing to follow Christ. And so a life of purity. Secondly, a life of purpose. I love where he says there, thou hast fully known my purpose. And we must purpose to know him. We must purpose to make him known. Uh, and uh, Paul said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is made, laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. So we must uh, build on the truth, and then we must be willing to change our trends. In other words, if the truth is not changing me constantly, uh, then it's just academic, right? And, and, by, and I do want to say one thing about being a young pastor because I had men when I was in my 30s formulating philosophy of ministry, 20s and 30s, who essentially said, well, we're just going to wait and see if he's really going to be fundamental. I don't think that's the right attitude. And the spirit of this meeting is to say, we're not going to wait. Any young guy that wants to come, let's have that conversation. And frankly, some of those men wanted to wait because they had Bible colleges and whatever, and so if, if they could get me on a slippery slope, then boom, they were done with me. And what I want to say to young preachers is, we don't want to be done with you, we need you. That's the message. This isn't about declassifying. Um, and that's why I did appreciate Dr. R.B. Ouellette. I was like 28 years old, I was invited to preach at a national conference and scared half out of my mind. And he just became my friend. Other guys his age were like waiting for me to prove myself. And I did some things that uh, were not being done in fundamentalism. I mean, I had booklets written against me for having screens in my pulpit, just silly things like that. Uh, and I know what it feels like to be castigated for a method that's really just a preferential issue. And yet, I also recognize that there can be a direction that leads away just not from preferences, but ultimately into identifications and beliefs that are not scripturally founded. And so make sure that you're letting the truth change your trend. I believe this, if someone will stay right on the scriptures, if someone will stay in the scriptures, uh, keep the right friends, that they're going to generally, and, and I personally believe stay as a Baptist, I believe they'll stay on the right pathway.
right? Uh, we can't be ashamed of the stigma of our identity. All those who are godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. So build on the truth, change the trends, and then finally you will establish your testimony. Um, and it says here in verse 10 that he had a purpose, a faith, a long-suffering. Uh, all that are godly will live, uh, all that are godly will suffer persecution. Uh, there's not, uh, it's not so much about a personal legacy that we're talking. It's a life of honor for Jesus Christ that we're talking about, right? So the world says, leave a legacy. What I'm saying is, leave a testimony that honors Jesus, right? I mean, the Mormons can get a crowd. It's not about your legacy of attendance and things like that. It's about your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I, I, I write a lot. I, I write a lot of things I don't publish. Uh, I wrote out vision statements uh, early on in my ministry. I just would like to share maybe one or two of them. Um, I, I, I wrote a, a vision statement years ago for our, our children and our family. I've written for my, my life. Here's one that I wrote. I envision my life as a life invested in loving my family, laboring for Christ, leaving a godly example, and written philosophy of ministry for the next generation. I envision my marriage to be an ever-loving relationship of spiritual growth with a sense of godly satisfaction and strategic mentoring in the twilight years. I envision my children and their spouses to be growing in Christ and in his service. I envision them walking in the truth and leading their families in the truth. Um, vision. Having a testimony that's born out of a biblical vision. Uh, you know, where there's no vision, the people perish. The word vision, if you study that word, means a biblical paradigm, a biblical perspective. We need to have that for our families, for our lives, for our churches. So a testimony is built as you faithfully live out the truth uh, through your life. Paul's testimony was built in a couple of ways. First of all, he persevered in trials. He tells us about this, his persecutions, his afflictions. Don't you respect somebody that takes a licking and keeps on kicking and just keeps going for the Lord? I do. I appreciate men that just uh, endure through the trials and difficulties of life. And... Uh, you can study his missionary journey. First missionary journey, he went to Antioch. The Jews were stirred up. He went to Iconium. Again, uh, they, they came seeking to persecute him. An assault was made. He went to Lystra. He was stoned. You go through every single stop on his journey. And he wasn't blending in with the culture, right? I think it was said earlier, Christianity was always countercultural. But because of that, the gospel, that's the, that, that's the concern that we have. When we, when we change this and this and this and this and take down what we think might be a hindrance to the gospel, pretty soon people start taking down elements of the gospel and ultimately the gospel itself because the philosophy of pragmatism begins to prevail in every single decision and that philosophy affects, again, the beliefs. So, but Paul just never would do that. He just always preached Christ and him crucified. And, and, and I, look, at, I've been to Korea. I have been in Catholic churches where Buddhist statues are placed because they're trying to draw in Buddhists, you know. And, uh, and we see some of that philosophy in Christianity today. So through the persecutions, through the afflictions, Paul was faithful. And he says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I think of a little girl in Africa who was asked by Muslims to recant her faith in Jesus Christ. And she refused. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, but I just wonder... If a lot of these kids growing up uh, in youth groups with a red rockin' hot band and swallowing goldfish and whatever they think Christianity is about, 
would they really take a stand for Jesus Christ like this? I mean, are we really raising up a generation of soldiers, or are we, you know, what are we raising up? And, and so Paul had thought about the end of a thing. Self-centered Christians who serve the Lord half-heartedly seldom have to pay a price for their faith. By the way, the consumer mentality, and, and I think Barna just did a recent study on this, and he said, Christians are not coming to church anymore to worship God. They're coming for themselves. They're coming to be entertained. And look at I'm for pews that are padded and air conditioning and quality music and quality graphics and all these things. And, and I don't think this day is primarily about preferences or even personal separation issues. It's, it's really focusing on where do all these trends go? And the fact of the matter is that uh, when, you, when you consider what people are wanting, we have to be careful. Are we going to give, this is not profound, are we going to give people what they're wanting or are we going to do what the Lord wants us to do? The whole, this, a lot of this started with marketing the church, a lot of these philosophies. Look, there's a little sign when I walk into our church that says to the choir, sing to an audience of one. And if I become obsessed with what the culture wants, where does that stop? Right, so we want to really have a testimony of looking to the Lord all throughout, all throughout our ministry. Persevering in trials, Paul persevered in the truth. He said, continue in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. One day, I pray that my children will say, I knew my dad's doctrine, I knew his manner of life, I knew his purpose. Um, I, I've been at our church 32 years, and I preached a message last Sunday night, I encourage you, if you'd like to listen to it, entitled Forward. Psalm 18, the psalmist said, Lord, make my feet like hind's feet. And I said to our church, we've had a great start, we've come forward. Like, like the red deer putting its front legs forward. I said, now we need to bring forward what, we, what got us here. We need to bring that forward. And I, I preached about our spirit, spirit of faith, spirit of joy, spirit of love. But I preached about our stand. I preached the doctrines. I preached the Baptist distinctives just this past Sunday night. I preached uh, about holiness, the stand that we've taken. Uh, and I said, we have to bring that forward, Amen. Right? And then I preached about our stewardship uh, in the sense of stewarding not only our time and treasure, but our, 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 for souls and so on and so forth. And, and really, uh, from one generation to another generation, we want to bring it forward and we want to be found faithful. So my prayer is that my testimony would not give an uncertain sound. I may read a lot of books. I've met with, I mean, I have friends in different movements and so forth, and I appreciate some of the conservatives in different movements. Uh, but I will just tell you that I want to be careful with, with where I uh, platform, with who I quote, with what I do, that it doesn't ruin the testimony that God has given to me. Uh, I want to steward my testimony. And I want my children, I want the, the graduates of our college, uh, who they're not all following what I taught them in college, but I want them to be able to say, I never had to question Brother Chapel's doctrine his manner of life, his purpose. He stayed on point. And, uh, and I just believe that all of us need to consider the end of the thing. Where's this going? What's going to be written on our epitaph? And that we would be found faithful. Methods are going to come and go, and we're all going to use some different methods. But we want to be found faithful to the truth and be careful of anything that sends an uncertain sound or message out concerning the truth.
We hope this episode has been helpful to you and that you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can connect with Standing Together on Twitter and Facebook, where we hope you will take a moment to share this podcast with your friends and followers. And remember, we'd love to see you at the next Standing Together Ministry Summit on April 1st and 2nd in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. For more information, visit us at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.